Today, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to draw closer to the Master and His plans for the world. Jesus gives us a wonderful encouragement in Luke chapter 18. I want to encourage you in your church work, in your family life, in your personal life, in everything about you from God's Word. May God encourage your hearts today. The first one is never stop praying. Never stop praying. Calling out to God, crying out to Him, soliciting His aid, asking for His help. Never stop praying. Jesus says it this way. Now He was telling His disciples a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Prayer is one of those subjects that if you want to make Christians feel guilty, it's real easy to do that. None of us prays enough, amen? And that's not at all my intention, and I'm certain it's not Jesus' intention. I'd like to suggest that his emphasis was not like this. You ought to pray and not to lose heart. It wasn't like he's scolding or showing them how bad they are or how deficient they've become. I'd like to suggest the emphasis was on the second part. You ought to pray and not lose heart. Not lose heart. Don't give up. I think that's where he was emphasizing. If Jesus sent this word as a text, that last phrase would be in capital letters. Do not lose heart. Don't give up. Never stop praying. When we are persistent in prayer, God responds. Jesus tells a parable of a woman seeking aid and the guy that she was seeking it from is, oh, go away, oh, go away. Okay, finally, she won't give up. I'll give her what she wants. And he's showing that as a contrast to God who wants to give us what we desire and his will for his glory. And so don't give up. Persistent prayer leads to a response from God. And a humble heart causes God to move. I believe that's the passage where the guy's pounding his chest. Lord, I'm I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. I don't deserve anything you would give me. A humble heart will get God to respond. May that be the case as we seek to never stop praying. God answers prayer. Why? Because He cares about you. He really does. Every single one of you. He cares about you. He is a shepherd who loves his sheep. He will answer because he cares. Peter says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Your burdens, your concerns, your hurts, your pain, those hurdles in your life you can't seem to jump over, those mountains that won't go into the sea. Lord, thank you that you really do care about me, and I can cast all my concerns onto you. I tried to illustrate and, and utilize that passage in my own life, um, picturing a, a backpack, and I'm putting my prayer requests in that backpack, my prayer concerns, my burdens, my hurts, my pain, my, my struggles, the challenges before me, the future, my family. And then I zip up the backpack, and hand the whole thing to the Lord. It helps me to illustrate this idea of casting all your care upon Him. Sometimes we can't even articulate the things that are on our heart that we want God to take care of, can we? What are you going through today? 
something in your family, the loss of a loved one, financial difficulty, personal struggles. God cares. Don't even name them. Just say, Lord, here's the whole batch. I give it all up to you. Lahat, please, take it. I can't bear this anymore. God wants us to do that. He tells us to do that. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, that's general requests, and I think that's where we can implement that First Peter verse, casting all your care upon Him. Lord, please help, have your way, do your thing. By prayer and supplication, that's where you get a little more details, with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you that you're going to answer. The answer may be no. The request is wrong. The answer may be slow. The timing is wrong. The answer may be grow. You are wrong. Get right again with me. But if the request is right and the timing is right and you are right, God says, go. If you pray anything according to my will, says the Lord, he will hear you and answer. Abide in me, and Jesus says, and, and the things that you ask for, I'll, I'll give you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so as we pray according to God's will, he answers because he cares. And he answers because he can. God is powerful, all-powerful. You know that verse, casting all your prayer upon him because he cares for you, is next to the verse that talks about be aware that the devil is a roaring lion, is prowling about to see whom he may devour. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Satan may be mighty, but God is almighty, amen, and he can answer your prayer as you trust him and give all your concerns to him. Here's a little Greek. The Greek word for to not lose heart or to lose heart is ekakeo, and it means to grow weary. Any, anyone tired in this wrestling match of the Christian life, this race of life? To lose heart is to faint. To lose heart is to become discouraged. To lose heart is to tire out. To lose heart is to give out in despair. To lose heart is to turn coward and run from the face of battle. Been there, done that. Anyone ever feel that way? Maybe you feel that way today. God understands and He cares. And He says to you, don't lose heart. Give these things to the Lord. Trust Him. Keep sending your prayer requests up to the Lord. God is saying to you and me in this regard, never say die. Never give up. Never give in. Never give out. Never back down. Keep on praying. That's what He's saying. Reminds me of one of my favorite stories. Chesty Puller was a Marine general in the Korean War. And one day his underlings came to him and said, Sir, we are surrounded. The enemy's in front and back, on the right flank, the left flank. We are surrounded by the enemy, sir. And his response was, Good. They'll never get away this time. That's the spirit. We live in the victory stuff with the Lord as we trust Him and give our concerns and heart cries to him. He cares. As we pray, he listens. Pour out your heart. Send up your needs. Turn your worry list into your prayer list. 
Never stop praying. Years ago, we were in the United States for a furlough year, um, and my son was in high school. I think it was second year of high school. He was very tall. He had very big feet, size 15. When he would buy shoes, it would come complete with canoe paddles because you could ride in them down the river. They were really big. And um, he invited a girl to a special event at his high school. It wasn't a prom, but something like that. And they really dressed. They wore tuxedos. They rented limousines. It was a big deal. All he had was basketball shoes. He played basketball for Faith Academy. And um, so I was looking for a couple of days for dress shoes, size 15. Couldn't find any. I don't know why. I looked at five different stores, shoe stores and the like. So thought, oh my. So the last day, we thought we'd try once more. Went to Target. And on the way, my daughter and son were with me. And I prayed out loud as I'm driving along. Dear Lord, would you please help us find shoes that Vince likes, find shoes that fit Vince, and find shoes that are cheap. <laughs> I threw that one in because I'm kuripa, talaga. Um, we got to Target, went to the shoe department, started pulling shoes off the rack. He didn't like any of them. I said, well, let's try these and maybe don't tie them so tight, you'll get through the night. So we were about to walk away and I saw another pair on the rack I hadn't seen and so I pulled it out and my son saw it and he goes, hey, I like those, Dad. I said, really? Prayer number one answered. He tried them on. They fit. Prayer number two answered. We're making our way to the counter. And the, um, halfway there, I stopped because I had looked more closely at the shoes. The heels were worn down. They were all scuffed up and dirty. They were old shoes, well-worn. And I said, you know what, guys? Some guy came in here with his old shoes, took them off, put them on the rack, put on some new shoes, and walked out with the new shoes without paying. My daughter said, Dad, how do you know that? And I said, well, I used to do that before I was a Christian. <laughs> I did get arrested once. Guy chased me down in the parking lot, took me inside, called my parents. The boots I had on, I had stolen a year ago, and the new shoes I had, we had to pay for both pairs. I was in big trouble. Confession is good for the soul. <laughs> oh, that was bad. We got to the counter to pay put the shoes on the counter. The lady goes, where'd you get those? Those don't belong to us. You can have them for free. <laughs> that was prayer number three, right? We laughed all the way home. I thought it was funny. I thought, you know, God really has a sense of humor, doesn't he? He does. I really think he does. Just look in the mirror <laughs> and we know, right? Um, God, I love it. But you know what else? It hit me later on. You know, God's got a lot to think about, don't you think, in this crazy world in which we live with all the people and all the problems and all the things he's doing, and I'm sure he can handle it. But here's that great God out there who cared enough about a 15-year-old to provide some shoes for him, to take care of him. Don't you love that? And you know, it's like God was saying, you want some shoes? I'll give you some shoes. We come back to Manila. He's playing basketball for Faith Academy. Frequently throughout the year, some schools would come from the U.S. to do ministry stuff and bring shoes to give away. Guess who got all the size 15? My son. He went to play for Ateneo for a few years, and uh, he had a Nike contract. And every month, he got to go to the Nike factory, and they gave him five or six pairs of Nikes and clothes and all kinds of other stuff. And and uh, we had a wall full of shoes in his bedroom. <laughs> it's like, you want some shoes? I'll take care of shoes for you. And it was just as if God was just showing us his willingness to care for us as we gave our requests 
to him. And he wants to do the same for each and every one of you. Give it up to the Lord and see what he does. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for this church. Pray for this city. Pray for this country. Pray for the world. May God have his way. He works in response to the prayers of his people. Don't lose heart in prayer. God will respond. Someone has said, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And that's what we want. Amen? In your personal life, in your corporate life, in your kids' lives, in your ministry, do not stop praying. May God grant that to happen. My son, tell another story, was accepted to play for Ateneo years ago, and he had to get a student visa. Well, when we were in the process of getting the student visa, we found out we had just been ripped off by a guy who was getting permanent visas for us to the tune of $4,000. And it was something corrupt he was doing with his uncle that worked in immigration. His uncle got caught. The whole thing died down. We didn't know anything about it until it was too late. And so we're down at the, getting some stuff done for his visa, and the guy says, well, we got this one done. We'll do something else in a couple of weeks, and a couple of weeks after that, something else, and we're working on it to get his student visa. While there, I got a phone call from the coach at Ateneo, and he said, look, your son needs to have his visa by next week, or he's not going to be able to play. Talk about Walang Pagasa. So I got in the car with my son, took him to basketball practice, tried to be encouraging. Look, son, if God doesn't want you to go there, that's the best thing. If he does, he'll work something out. I dropped him off, got in the car. I had to go pick up some people at the airport who were coming for a short-term missions trip and stopped at CCF Maine on the way um, and just texted my friends, please pray, and told him the situation. But I remember telling my son those things and thought to myself, I don't believe a word I just said. There is no hope. This is so bad, so wrong, so rotten. While waiting for my friends at the airport, I got a text from one of my dear friends, and uh, she said, my cousin works for the director of immigration, and I texted him, and he arranged an appointment for the head of immigration with your son tomorrow at 2 p.m. I couldn't believe it. We went the next day. He got his visa in two hours. I texted the guy that ripped us off. Guess who I just met with? <laughs> anyway, God answered and provided. We were so blessed. Don't ever stop praying. You just never know what God might do in your life. Here's another one. Never stop believing promises. Peter said, Behold, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. In a word, what Jesus is saying is, it's worth it to follow me. It's worth it to follow me. It may not look like it in this world, but in what really matters, it's worth it to serve me. It's worth it to engage in my great work. Know that. The devil will tell you otherwise. Life circumstances may suggest otherwise, but the truth of the matter is it's worth it to serve Jesus. Believe those promises. Believe that it's true. Someone asked me a while ago, Vince, any regrets about the path you have chosen in your life? I paused and thought about it for a while. It was hard to leave my family in the United States to come here and live. 
Every time we left, my mom cried. We're taking our grandkids away. It was hard to commit to a less than lucrative lifestyle. It was hard to be a foreigner, an alien, a Tano. <laughs> Although most of the time it was fun and I loved it. And I find Filipinos to be the most wonderful people in the whole wide world. I love you dearly, and I really mean that. We just love the Philippines and Filipinos and the many, many friends we have. You say, you don't even know me. Well, I'm sure if I did, I would be able to say that in all sincerity. <laughs> Serve the Lord. No regrets. Serve our Master. No regrets. Serve Filipinos and the Philippines, absolutely no regrets. Can I just say something I hope is encouraging to you? I didn't share this last time, and I hope it works. How many of you saw The Lord of the Rings? Okay, a lot of you have probably seen it. I decided to binge watch it on the plane on the way here. And one of my favorite scenes is at the very end. After Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee managed to inadvertently see the destruction of the great ring of power in the fires of Mount Doom, which ultimately destroys Sauron, the evil, evil leader of the evil forces of the world. Any biblical comparisons there? Somewhat. By the way, J.R. Tolkien was a close friend of C.S. Lewis. Maybe he was a Christian. And after the great victory comes and there's great celebration, they have this wonderful scene where Aragorn, son of Arathorn, is crowned king of Gondor, the king of Middle-earth. And all the, the big guns are there to honor him in this great day. The leader of the, the elves presents him with his wife, Arwen. And it's a, it's a wonderful scene, great rejoicing, great honor given to the crowned king. And as he walks down through all these people, they're all bowing to him and honoring him. And, and then he comes around the corner, and there are standing the four hobbits each of which had a significant role to play in the whole involved drama of the destruction of Sauron, the evil. And they kind of are shy and looking nervous and looking around, and, and then they start to bow before King Aragorn. And King Aragorn says, No, you bow to no one. The true heroes of the entire story. And sometimes I think, you know, maybe that's the Filipino church. There is no church like the churches in the Philippines, in my opinion. You bow to no one except the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And I'm just so blessed and encouraged and motivated and, and lifted up by the example of Christ in you and in many other churches in this nation. And I believe God has raised up the church in the Philippines to be a major player in these last days as He expands his kingdom around the world, and I believe he's doing it in so many ways. I hope that encourages you. I hope that lifts your spirits to keep on keeping on, believing God's promises that he really wants to use you. But remember, it's all about him, amen? Anything we do is, it's all about Jesus. Back in... Um, Galatians 6, 8, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap 
if we do not lose heart. Take that personally, take that corporately, keep on keeping on doing what God is using you to do. March 28, 1990, the Bulls were playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. Michael Jordan had a record-breaking night. He dominated, scoring 69 points, a career high. Another player, a guy named Stacy King, a rookie, was playing alongside Michael at the end of the game. This rookie took four shots, missed them all. On the fourth shot, game is almost over, score is tied, he gets fouled. He steps up to the free throw line, he's nervous, he looks at Michael Jordan, gets more nervous, takes his first shot, misses. Bounces the ball, takes another shot, swish. Bulls win, game's over. Stacy King gets the final point for the win. After the game, some reporters approached Stacy King, said, what was that like? And he said this, I will always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> Well, you know, he was joking, and everyone knows it was all about him. That's number 23, right? Well, when it comes to the Lord, we need to remember it's all about him, and what we do is for his glory. And so let us not grow weary while doing good, while doing God's will and the power of his spirit for the glory of his name. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Our lives will matter. God's promises will come true to that a fruitful life comes to us if we follow him. It will be worth it all to follow Jesus. And that is what do not lose heart means. Turn to your neighbor and say, do not lose heart. God promises to make things happen as we cling to his promises. And then remember that it's all about him. Here's another encouragement. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart in the brevity of life. Why? Because our light affliction, which is but for a moment is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I love that contrasted words. He says, our light affliction, which is for a moment, is contrasted with our exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And he's saying the reward, that it will be worth it all part, totally outweighs the hard stuff of life that may come as we serve Jesus. Follow me, says Jesus. Believe my promises for you, and it will be worth it all. Do not lose heart. How? While well, we look not at the things that are seen, but we look at the things that are not seen, eternal things. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. May God grant us to be able to have that perspective. I was on a plane to Manila, asked to speak at CCF about True success once upon a time. I happened to find a documentary about Whitney Houston, and I watched it because I love Whitney Houston's voice. It was so sad how her life fell apart, how it ended so tragically, so young. And it dawned on me after I watched, I wonder how many celebrities who had it all died too young, died tragically. So I did a Google search. Try it sometime. You won't believe the length of the list. Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Marilyn Monroe, Heath Ledger, 
John Belushi, Kurt Cobain, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, and the list goes on and on. And it dawned on me, what is true success? I don't think fame and fortune delivers, but Jesus does. So know it. Never stop praying. Never stop believing God's promises. And third, never stop proclaiming grace. Amen? May God lead us to really share the truths of His Word. Now let me give you a hint. Preachers use two code words. One is finally, and one is lastly. Finally means, I'm not quite done, don't get too excited, I'm still going to babble on and on. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, I'm the second king of Babylon. <laughs> the second word is lastly. Now that's the one you want to listen for, because what that usually means is, a verse and a poem, and we're out of here. You're going to make it. So, finally. <laughs> then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged, whipped him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. That is the gospel. Jesus gave himself for our sins and his humility and grace, was tortured and brutalized and crucified and spit upon and mocked and died and was buried and rose again from the dead. That is the gospel of grace. And the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Not our presentation, not our skill or argumentation. The message is the power of God. So never stop proclaiming this message, this grace of Jesus Christ. Grace in Hebrew means to bend or stoop. Kindness shown by a superior to an inferior, freely given and undeserved. Grace in the Greek is a gift undeserved. In fact, the opposite of what one deserves. So what Jesus did is truly amazing grace. And God desires that we proclaim it everywhere, to everyone, whenever we can. As Jesus hung on the cross, Suffering great physical pain, there was perhaps other pain far worse, the bearing of our sins in his own body on the tree. That's why he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he was bearing the sins of humankind in his body on the tree, and God turned his back to him. And that's probably what he was referring to when he said, let this cup pass from me. The cup of God's wrath poured out on the sinfulness of man being put on the body of the Lord Jesus. But he went through it. And he died as a victim or not as a victim, but as a volunteer. And after the price he paid, he paid it in full. He said, it is finished. Tetelestai, the debt is paid. And God won't take anything less or anything more than what Jesus said. And then I believe his last words were, I thirst. Jesus was mistreated and spat upon. That one shocks me. When I was a kid, if someone spits on you, it's like, and he was allowing that to happen. Talk about grace. I learned something that truly shocked me when I was privileged to go to Israel with CCF back in 2018. They put me in charge of the red bus, about 40 people, mostly Filipino Chinese, some from out of the country. We became such good friends. Every time I come back, they take me on a reunion somewhere. And during our trip, we visited one city that had an ancient Roman public restroom. It is also the city that had the cave, which is considered the, the gates of Hades, a sacrificial area. In any event, we're in this uh, public restroom. That's it right there. And they're 
sitting on the place where people went to the restroom. You say, Pastor Vince, where are you going with this? Trust me, okay? It'll work, I hope. We are all kind of having a laugh about that, and the way it works is you get a, some earphones, and the bus guide, he can be like 40 yards away talking into his walkie-talkie, and all of us at various places could hear him. So he's, he's kind of telling us what's going on here. You sit on the bench, go to the bathroom, there's a stream underneath the bench that carries stuff away and blah, 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 and we're just laughing, and I'm thinking, what is he talking about? Then our guy told us a story. He said, if you were poor, you cleaned yourself. If you were rich, you had a servant do it. And the servant would take what's known as a hyssop branch, dip it in vinegar, and clean you. And I'm like, oh, gross. And then he said this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine or vinegar was sitting there, and the guards, the Roman soldiers, filled a sponge with sour wine, vinegar, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. After telling us this, I was so shocked. Is it possible that Jesus stooped so low in grace to allow that kind of a disgusting treatment? I don't know. I'm not certain of that. But in all the interpretations of this event that I've heard, that one makes the most sense to me. Because why in the world would all of a sudden these Roman guards become nice after all they did to Jesus? Crown of thorns, the robe on top of all the, the cuts from the whipping, nailing them to the cross. All of a sudden they're going to be nice. Oh, you want a drink? I don't think so. And it fits the narrative better to me. He went down, down, down in his unbelievable, outrageous grace for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Grace. Have you received it? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope for eternal life, believing that when he died, he died for you? If you've not done that, I beg you, find someone, an usher, someone here that you can talk to and get that settled. Come to God on his terms by faith, receiving his grace. And never stop proclaiming this message, amen? Never stop proclaiming grace wherever and whenever you can. What am I saying so far? Never stop praying. Never stop believing promises. Never stop proclaiming grace. In other words, hang in there. (laughs) Let me close with a story. Lastly, David and Sevea Flood in 1921, left Sweden to go as missionaries to Africa. They had a two-year-old son. They went to a place, what was then called the Belgian Congo, later Zaire, now called the Democratic Republic of the Congo. They joined another couple from Sweden, the Ericsons, to take the gospel to a remote area, a tribal group in a village called Endolera. The chief wanted nothing to do with them. He was afraid their message was offend the gods and the spirits that they worshiped. So he wouldn't let them in the village to talk to people, but he did allow them to build some mud huts up a slope a half a mile away. They prayed for a breakthrough. Nothing happened. 
The only contact they had was a little boy, age seven, who was allowed to sell them chicken and eggs two times a week. Four foot eight, Savea Flood, tiny little woman decided, if this is the only African I can share the gospel with, so be it. She began to share Christ with the boy, and eventually he came to the Lord and accepted Christ. But no other encouragements. In fact, things got worse. Malaria hit them all. All four were overcome by malaria. After suffering sickness so long that Erickson said, we're done. And they left and Dolera went back to the mission station. David and Svea Flood stayed alone and continued to minister as best they could. Svea became pregnant. She gave birth to a little girl. They named her Aggie. The delivery was exhausting and sadly, 17 days after, she succumbed and died. David buried her and put up a white cross on that hill outside of Andalera. And something inside David flood snapped. After he dug the grave and buried his 27-year-old wife, he took the two children down the mountain to the mission station. He gave the newborn daughter to the Ericsons and said, I've lost my wife. I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has destroyed my life. He went down to the pier, got on a boat, went back to Sweden, walked away from his God and his calling. The baby girl stayed with the Ericsons. Sadly, eight months later, they both passed away from disease. The baby girl was turned over to some American missionaries who had to go back to the United States, so Aggie went to America. They couldn't go back overseas, so Aggie grew up in North Dakota or South Dakota, went to Bible College in Minneapolis, married a guy named Dewey Hurst. They went into ministry, had two kids, and time he became the president of a Christian college in Seattle, which had a background as being started by Swedish people, Scandinavian heritage. One day she's in her house and the mail comes, she goes out to the mailbox, and there's a magazine in the mail, and she took it, it's all in Swedish. She had no idea where it came from or who sent it, and she began to look through it and thumb through the pages, and when she got to the last page, she almost fell over, because there was a picture of that cross with her mother's name on it. But she didn't know the Swedish, so she rushed to the school and got one of the professors and said, what does this article say? And he summarized it. Missionaries came to Andalera. There was a birth of a baby named Aggie. The mother died, and a little boy named, or age six, that they led to Christ grew up and began to reach people around him. He actually led the chief of the village to Christ, and he established a school, and well over 600 people in that village and many more in other villages came to the Lord through his ministry. All because of the sacrifice of David and Savea Flood. Aggie was just overwhelmed. She couldn't believe it. She didn't know that. She never met her parents. More to the story. Never stop proclaiming grace. You just never know what will happen to that seed that you plant in the lives of those around you. At their 25th wedding anniversary, the college gave them a gift and sent them to Sweden for a vacation. Aggie decided to try to visit her father. She met first with her half-brothers and sisters. He had remarried and had other children, and they had a wonderful time together getting united, reunited, and then she said, I'm going to go visit Papa. And they said, okay, but do not mention the name of God. If you do, he goes into a rage. But Aggie was undeterred. She went to the house of her father. He was on his deathbed. He was an alcoholic. 
She walked in the room, there were empty whiskey bottles everywhere, and he was leaning with his face facing the wall when she walked in, and she said, Papa, it's me, Aggie. And he turned over with tears in his eyes, and he said, Aggie, I'm so sorry, I never meant to give you away. She said, it's okay, Papa, Jesus took care of me. He stiffened up, became angry. He said, God destroyed my life. She said, no, Jesus still loves you, Papa. The boy Mama led to Christ became a Christian leader and led many hundreds to the Lord all throughout that village and in other villages. God used your life for His glory. He still loves you, Father. He still wants you to come home to Him. And in time, He broke down and tears came and He returned to the Lord and repented. And soon after, He died. Doesn't end there. Two years later, Aggie and her husband were invited to a missions conference, a big evangelistic conference somewhere in England, I think it was, thousands and thousands of people from all over the world. And one of the speakers was the leader of the Church of Zaire, the largest denomination in the, the country of Zaire, or Belgian Congo. And um, he gave a message about what God has been doing in this country, and it was a marvelous, wonderful uh, testimony to God's work. God's power, God's kingdom expanding. And Aggie thought, i got to talk to this guy. After the service, she went up to him and she said, Sir, my name is Aggie Hurst. My mother's name is Savea Flood. Do you know that name? His eyes grew big. He grabbed her by the shoulders and he said, Do I know the name Savea Flood? She is the most important person in the history of our church. She led me to Christ when I was a seven-year-old boy delivering chicken and eggs to her house. Savea Flood led me to Christ. Oh, can you imagine the joy in Savea's heart? He said, you must come to my country and see the place where your mother is buried. It is an honored site by all the churches of our land. And she went, and she passed through the village of Endelera to thousands singing glory, glory to God songs in a very moving moment when she reached the site of her mother's grave Rejoicing that with God, all things are possible. Amen? Never stop proclaiming grace, brothers and sisters. God's power and salvation. Never stop praying. God is working. He will answer because He cares for you, and He can answer. Never stop believing God's promises. Any sacrifice you make for Him will be worth it. Claim them. Never stop proclaiming grace. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And God will use you for his glory. May it be so.